Hello, and welcome to The Final Third, where we give you a look at soccer news around the world, make predictions for upcoming matches, and discuss or debate different topics about soccer. My name is Jack Seeprasad. I'm one of the co-hosts. I support Minnesota United, Chelsea Football Club, and Atalanta Bergamo Calcio, and I also support the French national team. And my name is AJ Tabura. I'm a fan of Minnesota United, West Ham, the U.S. national teams, and pretty much any team that has an American on it. Yeah, uh, so given that this is our first episode, I'll just go over why we created this and what our format's going to be. A couple of months ago, AJ and I were talking about a Minnesota United game, which ended up being a 3-1 loss at Dallas. And we realized that we both enjoyed talking about soccer and wanted to share our insights with more people, which inspired this, the final third. Each episode is going to be split into three major sections. First will be the big stories, which is quickfire stories of the biggest stories in international soccer. We'll also have the football forum, where we'll have two discussions, one focused on MLS or U.S. soccer, and one focused on the Premier League and European soccer. And finally, we'll have pitch side predictions, a segment with our predictions on five major matches for each week. So... With that explanation out of the way, let's dribble on into the final third. I couldn't have said it better myself. All right, let's get started with the big stories. Jack, take it away with our first story. Yeah, so San Jose Earthquake fans got a great Christmas present uh, as Chris Wondolowski signed a new contract for one more year. Uh, Wando is the MLS all-time goals uh, scored leader with 166 and also helped lead San Jose to the playoffs for the first time since 2017. Earthquakes fans are bound to be incredibly excited with this, and I know I'm really excited to see what he'll do in the league this upcoming season. Yeah, I mean, he's one of the greatest players of all time in terms of American players. It's a shame that he hasn't gotten more silverware in San Jose. He's only gotten two supporter shields with the team since since joining them way back in the day. So hopefully, I mean, it's probably not likely, but, you know, hopefully he gets something out of that last year hopefully. down there in uh, Northern California. So yeah, Maybe yeah. a U.S. Open Cup. Who knows? U.S. Open Cup. Uh, I mean, yeah, who knows with, uh, with Almeida if he stays, if he goes, what's going to happen there. Yeah, and that iconic goal against Kansas City in the playoffs this season at the very death with a final header, uh, I'm looking forward to see more of that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you think Do you think he'll get actual playing time? Because he is getting up there in age. I don't know how old he is, but he is. He, he's one of the grandpas of MLS, so True. for sure. I, I hope so. He, he was San Jose's leader in goals scored with seven in the past season, so... Uh, I think he proves his worth every time, and I think it would be a mistake to bench him for too long. Yeah, to be fair, top goal scorer in San Jose is <laughs> not saying much. All right, want to move on to the next story? Yeah, let's move on. All right, in the past week, we've seen some pretty crazy scenes out of the Premier League. Obviously, there's the coronavirus pandemic raging across the entire world, but over in England, across the ocean, it's seen a little bit worse compared to pretty much any other league. I don't think most leagues have seen prolonged postponements like we're seeing out of the Premier League. Uh, just here, you have Tottenham versus Fulham, Man City versus Everton, Burnley and Fulham, 
all postponed due to COVID outbreaks on some of the teams there. Uh, we had uh, just yesterday Burnley and Fulham get called off, and you know a, a lot of this has to be due to some players n- violating the COVID protocols. Uh, we had even just recently we've had uh, some Tottenham players and actually a West Ham player, Manuel Lanzini. They had a I don't know if it was a Christmas party or if it was if it was a New Year's party, but they had a, a a large gathering, and as it turned out, that's that's not cool. Actually, that's very that's very not cool. Uh, what do you think about all of this? Yeah, um, I think it's really crazy to see all of these outbreaks happening. I mean, I I kind of expected it to come sooner, if I'm being honest, because you know you were having players in close contact for about ninety minutes. And that's inevitably going to cause some problems, but you're right. It seems to be hitting the Premier League harder than any other league has been hit. So it will be interesting with the recent announcement by the Premier League that they're planning what the coronavirus situation is. So it'll be interesting to see what they end up doing in the end, or if they impose any more restrictions, if they bring back the five subs with more players getting ill. But uh, we will see what happens. But hopefully some positive developments will come out of there soon. Yeah, I wouldn't hold my breath. I don't know if you saw uh, Mourinho kind of lambast the Premier League saying he basically said that they had a game that day. They had a game that they were going to play against Fulham. And they still did not hear anything about any cancellation, whether or not it's going to go through or not until a couple hours before the game so obviously the premier league has not been 100 percent uh 100 percent efficient with how they're dealing with it yeah well one big thing going off of what Mourinho said uh you know i'm obviously not a fan of him as the tottenham boss but i have to respect him a little bit because right uh, yeah but you know he point that there was radio silence from the and from the premier league about what the restrictions are going forward. I think they need to create a better system for identifying when games are called off. Whereas, like, you know, if X percent of your squad has uh, has test positive for coronavirus, the game should be called off. And, you know, making more yeah. specifications for it, uh, it, it can lead to problems, as we saw with Napoli and Juventus in Serie A, but... You know, I think a lot more clarity on this will serve them well in the long run. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, It's kind of mind-blowing that the Premier League doesn't really have a plan in place in case they need to call off the season for two weeks or another month. Like, they don't have—I read this somewhere. I I don't know if it's 100% true, but they don't have— a contingency plan if they have to uh, postpone games for a long, long period of time. For sure, yeah. I mean, it. we need to have more clarity on this. There's got to be good planning. And without that, you know, it's going to be a failure, regardless yeah. of what is done. So you've just got to plan ahead, and hopefully we'll see that in the coming weeks. All right, let's move on to the next news story. Jack, take it away. Yeah, so if you were uh, around and looking at the news on Christmas Eve, you might have seen the surprise sacking 
of PSG manager Thomas Tuchel, who took PSG to the Champions League final just a few months before, was sacked after a 4-0 win against Strasbourg, and they were one point behind league leaders Leon and Lille. And as a result, Tuchel was replaced by former Tottenham Hotspur boss, Mauricio Pochettino, and, uh, you know, he was the boss of Tottenham for, I believe, around four years beforehand, and uh, it's an interesting choice because while he is one of the most experienced managers out there that was available, it's also very strange to see Tuchel get sacked because while he didn't have necessarily the best start to the season at PSG, he had a very decent start and one point behind league leaders is not necessarily bad, given PSG's star quality and their the overall quality of their squad. I got I got a question for you yeah. on this. In your opinion, is this is this a good move for PSG? I I don't think so. Um, Thomas Tuchel is a good manager. He showed his grit and he showed that he really has skill. Um, you right. know, in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. They were down uh, a goal to Atalanta until the 87th minute. And, you know, uh, Tuchel makes some subs. Uh, Eric Trupo-Moting comes on. A few other players come on. He switches up the system, and he turned the game around in three right. minutes. And, you know, he kept Bayern Munich, who were just a free-scoring team, scored over 150 goals last season, to one goal in their in their right. final. It. it I don't think it's a good decision. I, for the most part, agree. I, I do think that PSG are would have been fine the way they are. But, you know, from the way that I see it, PSG are one of those teams that that need to do well in Europe in order to cement themselves as an actual good team. I think the board is looking at that and saying, hey, we need to do better. We need to cement ourselves as perennial contenders no matter what and i think pochettino gets there and they're also in talks of getting messy next summer imagine imagine him managing neymar mbappe and messi that that'd be pretty that, cool that, that, that would be, be cool. incredible and it would be a sight to see uh especially given you know tottenham hotspur has great players but you know that's a step up uh i i'd say to uh I mean, you have Harry Kane, but Neymar and Messi, their partnership is legendary. Uh, so it, it'll it be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, actually, I don't know about that. I don't know if Tottenham is that much of a step down from the three best players in the entire world playing together on the same team. Ugh. If that happens, it's game over. That's just my opinion, though. But speaking of game over, it might be game over for the 2021 MLS season. Uh, for those of you who don't follow MLS or haven't been keeping up with the news, uh, the MLS organization, because they are you know centrally owned as a league, has informed the MLS Players Association that they will be enforcing, kicking in the force majeure clause is that how you pronounce it do you know yes how it's i pronounced? believe i believe that's correct yeah honestly had no idea what it was until the pandemic because why else would you have to uh have to use it it's basically a clause that the owners put into 
saying that if there's any crazy circumstances that happen, they can kick it in and null and void that collective bargaining agreement, and they'd have to come up with a new one in the next 30 days. Am I understanding that correctly? Do you know a lot about this? Uh, I do not know as much about it, but uh, that sounds about right, given what I have read. Yes. And so basically, uh, MLS obviously cited the coronavirus pandemic. They've been very hard hit uh, straight from the league office. They've said that they've lost over $1 billion due to the pandemic. And soccer, especially in America, is extremely game day revenue reliant. Having fans not in the stands hurts their bottom line a lot. And you add on to the fact that with MLS's back and them having to take charter flights everywhere, the owners have spent a lot of money. They've lost a lot of money. And uh, the MLS owners and the Players Association are going to be in discussions uh, for the next month or so. And they are due on January 28th. And the scary thing is for MLS fans and for you know the MLS players is that if they don't come to an agreement, a work stoppage is increasingly likely to happen. So I want to I want to hear your opinion on this. Yeah, um, it's it is crazy because you know we we just had such a strange 2020 season, and it's probably going to get a lot stranger in 2021. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, well, I mean, while the league is right, like MLS did lose, uh, according to their figures. They lost around $1 billion and paid yeah. around 95% of MLS player salaries, which, you know, is a lot less of a pay cut than many other major leagues took. Right, so right. it's it's very interesting. However, I also have to feel for the players because, you know, to opt out of the collective bargaining agreement because of these circumstances is just incredibly, at, taking from the MLS Players Association, is an incredibly tone-deaf move. Because exactly. these players have given up so much, they've risked their health, their safety, uh, to play and provide this kind of entertainment and to do all this sort of stuff and do what they love. They've they've done all of this, made sacrifices, and to do this to force them to play and to do and to just nullify any agreements is just right terrible considering how much goodwill they put into the 2020 season and how like uh how much goodwill they had this would this is kind of like a watershed moment for them like they could be incredibly progressive and be looking out for their players but they're taking a much different turn than they did in 2020 and it'll be interesting to see how this plays out with some fans because you know uh some fan bases especially uh i know uh minnesota united for one and right. uh yeah the portland timbers are yeah are very progressive very workers rights oriented and we're we're very caring about workers and we want to see more progressive values put into place overall yeah and and the fans are already angry and of course they'd be these players have had to live in a bubble for a, a month players like the players for toronto fc you know toronto had to live the rest of the season in in hartford in connecticut that sucks right. and not just because it's it's connecticut 
but because they've been away from their families for that long and to see the owners who already asked for a pay cut who are already you know shelling out money in other places turn around and say hey well you know this thing that makes us have to pay this much or has us to give up a certain amount of our value no we're we're just going to nullify that and yeah. what i what, what i mean i said earlier like they're shelling it out in other places you have teams like minnesota united specifically who spent multi-million dollars in the secondary transfer window spent millions of dollars getting new players in they obviously have the money it's not like mls has this insane salary we have a salary cap for a reason I think we can both agree that if the players went on strike, you couldn't blame them. You couldn't blame them. From what I've seen on Twitter, nobody does blame them. So we'll see how this plays out. Yep, that is how that works. Those are indeed opposites. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it, it's it's just really interesting. And I hope that they come to a conclusion with this that allows us to have a season, but also looking out for players' health. It Yes. It needs to oh, be yeah, balanced. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right. Well, they might be pocketing the money for a different reason because they might be bringing in a very special player. Jack, what right. do you say about this? Uh, so we talked just a little bit ago about the PSG uh, situation and how Messi is looking like he might come to PSG. However, it's looking like yes. MLS might be a destination for him, yes. which would be incredible and a huge huge watershed moment for MLS. Uh, but let's just go into some of this because, you know, in a recent interview, he talked about how he desired to play in the U.S. for a few reasons because, you know, he wants, one, education for his children. Apparently, he wants to switch to the American education system. Bad why? <laughs> um, I don't know why, but for some reason he wants it. And, uh, you know, if that gets him to MLS, I'd be fine with it. Yeah. Uh, but... He also, uh, there's also been some speculation that Messi, while he's a big public figure, he's rather private about things and doesn't like to, you know, create a lot of waves, even though he created quite a bit this summer. Uh, but, you know, going to the U.S., he could live in relative, un, uh, like, being less recognized than he might be in Europe. Uh, for example, like Steven Gerrard and Wayne Rooney yeah. were prior examples where they could do pretty much whatever they wanted without really being recognized. And uh, they kind of liked that. Um, uh, so I think Messi could be looking at that and seeing that as a potential uh, element of MLS. But this further came into view as uh, just a couple of days ago, Messi seemed to have purchased a 7.25 million uh, pound uh, apartment. I don't know what the dollar conversion to that is, but uh, in Miami. And oh, with really? Inter I did not yes. hear about this. Oh, with wow. Inter-Miami being, uh, you know, targeting such stars as Blaise Matuidi, you know, the World Cup winner, and uh, uh, Argentine forward Gonzalo Higuain. However, there's also one other possibility that people are talking about, and it has been used before. Um, obviously, you know, Messi was very successful under Pep Guardiola, and uh -huh. it's looking like... A transfer to Manchester City is not out of the question under his former boss, where he won, you know, the Champions League, was it th two or three times? Uh, I it, it was two or three times winning La Liga with him. You know, it, it was a great combination. 
and he could be going to Manchester City to reunite with him. They're in need of a star forward with Sergio Aguero be, becoming a little less productive and Gabriel Jesus not really living up to the same strike rate that Aguero brought. And afterwards, it's looking like he could take the route of Frank Lampard when he went to Manchester City for one season and then finished off his career oh, wow. at NYCFC. It, it looks like that he may be ending up in Inter-Miami or NYCFC. Uh, I I would be happy to see him in any place, although I think he would really enjoy uh, the great state of Minnesota, personally. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dude, we got it, Lake Minnehaha. Come on, dude. Who wants to go anywhere else? We've got the Mall of America. Just think yeah. about it. So good. So yeah. good. We have an amusement park inside of a mall. Inside. Messi, come on. Leo. Come on. Leo, come on. Oh you'll love gosh. it here you'll love it here you'll be a legend you'll be a legend our stadium is beautiful it's amazing yeah. uh just head on over yeah our stadium is to be fair way better than nycfc's who plays in yankee stadium like imagine imagine leo messi playing on a baseball diamond admit it would be it would be quite an end to an illustrious career <laughs> yeah. uh big contrast there uh, i can't i can't overstate how large of a contrast it would be to the iconic pictures of him uh you know in uh in the camp new stadium versus you know in yankee stadium that would be quite a sight all right well you know with all those news stories out of the way we spent a lot of time talking about those news stories uh but let's start talking about some interesting topics that we picked out to Two very, very interesting topics. Uh, one, MLS US soccer related, and one, uh, European soccer related. And so the first one, uh, which is all about US soccer specifically, is could the US sometime this decade win the World Cup? And before we say anything, Jack, I want a one word answer out of both of us either yes or no. All right, you first. I'm going to say yes. All right, I'm also going to say yes. I want to hear your take on this. Yeah, I mean, it. I, I might need to add a caveat to my yes and say that... I, yeah, me it's, too, it's, obviously. It's possible. We have three opportunities to do it, but there's a few things that we really have to look at, and I, I can go in depth with a lot of these, but I'll I'll start with just, like, you know, a quick a quick overview of it. So there's a few things that we really have to look at, which is soccer development worldwide, uh, and then just MLS and the culture behind soccer in the U.S. Because right. I think those factors are the biggest things that will help define whether or not uh, the U.S. can win you know, a World Cup this decade, but also just if they can win one in the next century. Uh, it's kind of a long-term vision that, I, that I'm thinking of, but, you know, That's like... Fair. Uh, the U.S. is doing great with MLS, but our only really consistent youth academy has been FC Dallas's academy, which mm-hmm. is great. And it's produced great talents like, you know, Reggie Cannon. And, but we're just lacking a place that creates true stars. And, you know, you compare that to development in England, which has clubs with history, dedicated youth programs, and clear opportunities to get into the first team setup. And they have dedicated youth competitions like the U18 FA Cup. They have the Premier League 2 competition, which is almost all uh, under-18 teams or under, 
19 teams, I can't remember the exact classification. So you see a huge deficit in it. But, you know, U.S. soccer is on the cusp of something really great with development. Because Americans are increasingly being brought to the Bundesliga, you know. Uh, Christian Pulisic, my guy from Chelsea, uh, starting at Borussia Dortmund, along with uh, Gio Reyna, who's having a breakout season there. You have Josh Josh Sargent. (laughs) Sargent, yeah. Sargent, yeah. A little bit of French came out there. Um, But, uh, you know, he's at uh, Werder Bremen. And Weston McKenney, who was at Schalke, and Chris Richards at Bayern. They're all making their names in Germany. And McKenney's recent move to Juventus, the Italian giant... Uh, is looking like they want to snap up some more MLS talent, which is a good sign for uh, American development. So Brian Reynolds, huh? Yeah. Uh, You know, these show promising signs for the U.S.'s chances at World Cup success in the future, so hopefully we can keep up. But the thing is, it's going to take us a lot of years of consistent development to match the strength of French, British, Spanish, Italian, and especially German development. And utilizing their development systems, as we have been, looks to be our best way forward for the time being and could produce a World Cup run. Uh, I'll go into the other points a little bit later, but I want to hear what you have to say. Yeah, those are all those are all pretty good points. I'm going to be the more optimistic person because I don't think you're giving the U.S. enough credit with development. You know, the reason why we're seeing so many good players break out in Europe is because... You know, 10 years ago, uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation started the U.S. Development Academy, which was this landmark decision to create, you know, centralized development plans all across the country. And, you know, so many of our players, I think most of our American-born players that are, you know, popping off right now, the U23 guys, all played in the, the D.A., and so we do have development. It's not perfect, obviously. There, there are plenty of criticisms of the DA and just the way that we develop players in general. Yeah, I get that. And that's, that's a topic for another day. But the fact is, it is, it is proving to be a positive move forward. And the way that I see it is I said yes, obviously, because I do believe that we are not just entering a golden generation, but to use a COVID term, a new normal for U.S. soccer players. Because yes, you know we have our breakout stars like Josh Sargent and uh, Gio Reyna and Christian Pulisic and Sergino Dest, which I don't even think you uh, you mentioned. Oh, you know, man, all I totally these, forgot. yeah, 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 Barcelona, a terrible team. So who cares about him? But, but on top of them. Even now, even after those amazing players are getting started there, we still have a new line of players getting out there, getting transfers. You know, Brian Reynolds, Brendan Arison just literally landed in Salzburg yesterday, got picked up by Jesse Marsh and got a tour of the grounds. That's pretty cool. You have uh, uh, Scally, Scaly from NYCFC, so right back. Uh, Tessman out of Dallas is, I think, training with Bayern, I believe. And that's not to mention all the other uh, players from MLS that are still going to stay in MLS this season, most likely, who in the next transfer window or the transfer window after that are probably going to make a move towards Europe. I mean, take a look at Chris Mueller, 
Mark McKenzie, uh, Akinola, perhaps, uh, other Americans that I'm forgetting that people are going to get mad at me for forgetting. Now, these are players who are continuing the pipeline that Christian Pulisic has set forth. And it's only going to get better. I mean, the U.S. is in the top 10 uh, exporting countries for Champions League minutes for both the U23 and U20s. And that's better than Mexico. That's better than most other non-European countries except, I believe, Brazil. I believe that's the only country that's better than us, and I, I believe that. But for all those other countries that we've beat out, I think that proves that we are in a, a comparable, if not better, place development-wise. Do you, do you catch my drift with that? Yeah, I, I get I get what you mean. Yeah, um, we're I I agree with you on entering sort of a golden generation of talent because hey, new normal. That's what I'm new saying. New normal. That's Sorry. Yes. Uh, you know, <laughs> we we haven't really seen this kind of development. Uh, for a while, and I completely forgot, and we both forgot, uh, Zach Steffen as well, who just made his Premier League debut. Yeah, uh, kind of iffy, but you know. He, yeah, I, I mean, that yellow card for the back pass was a little bit iffy, but he cleaned it up. He cleaned it up. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, we are producing some of the best talents in the world throughout Europe right now. And it it's really cool to see. But the other question that comes up then is... While we're producing better talent than almost every other non-European country, how does that compare to the European countries? Because, you know, the past World Cup, the semifinals were all European countries. And while one of those teams has kind of fallen off, uh, Croatia has really fallen off in, in like, the past two years, uh, France, Belgium, and England are some of the best sides in world football. And while England can be hot or cold uh belgium and france are consistently very good and you know uh it's just i i guess the question comes down to in the next few years are we going to be able to pass them and i think we can but i i think that while the u.s soccer development program has done a lot of work we also Mm -hmm. need to give some of that work and have our clubs do some of those work, be, uh, some of that work, because so many of the other European countries have found so much success because you know they can kind of delegate that out and create maybe a bit more of a variety of players with like different styles for yeah. forming. So it, I I think it'll be interesting because I really do think it does rely a lot on that because if we can delegate more of it out, we can produce even more talents produce more competition like you know france arguably one of the best center backs that happens to play for that like has uh french nationality Emeric laporte he doesn't even make it into the french squad it, it just shows how competitive it is yeah so we we have a really good like first team i'd argue the u.s has like an incredible first team on par with the likes of you know england uh argentina uh i mean like we're we're on par with a lot of those uh, groups, but we're kind of lacking the depth that those other teams have, like the like the bench players, right? Right, right. Like you know, our our bench it's not bad by any means. Like we we have all professional players playing, 
there's some countries that can't even get that together. So it's it's it, it is great, but we we're, we're just missing that extra element that you know after 75 minutes, uh, you know, bringing on those impact players that other countries can. I guess is is one thing that I think uh, expanding our development system would really help us make a push for a World Cup. Yeah, I th- that is a good point. Unfortunately, I will have to admit that uh, I've I've always been a proponent of not caring so much about the starting eleven, but slots eleven through eighteen. You know, because those are the guys that are going to be coming off the bench. Like, like you said exactly, I guess, what I was thinking about there, where uh, everyone's gassed in the 75th minute, you know. France brings on Giroud, we bring in Zardes. <laughs> you know, how's that going to turn out? Yeah. You know, my favorite center forward versus uh, Giossi Zardes. I mean, no disrespect to him, but, yeah. you know, you can't really match Olivier Giroud and his oh, his yeah. incredible headers. You know, you, you really can't match it. It is a good point, I will admit that, but I I am sipping the USMNT Kool-Aid right now, because I think that these players are really good, and pound for pound, once they hit their prime, because we have an extremely young national team side, once they hit their prime, they can hang in the ring with France and Belgium. Like, yes, right now, it's not that great. And yes, in the future, it still might not be that great. But there is that level of variance where we could say right now in 2021 that, yeah, it might happen. It just has to depend on if we get that development working, if the players do reach their ceilings. But there is one thing that I want to bring up to you that will blow you out of the water. It's going it, it, to... It's just... It's going gonna, it's gonna to make my my hopeless optimism went out and that is it's the 2026 world cup it's the final it's it's u.s versus france it's in los angeles it's in the rose bowl like like we're gonna be playing a world cup at home and even though that that's not a necessarily uh guarantee that we're gonna win the world cup I think that's the strongest thing outside of where our players are that's going to bring us <laughs> bring it home, you know? Because right now we already know that we're going to qualify for that World Cup because we qualify automatically. So everything that we're doing, we can tailor towards working our way towards that World Cup. And yes, it all like all of our preparation really depends on how we treat the next couple of years, how we treat developing with the national team and how the players grow up and develop. But having a home World Cup, right when all these players are going to be hitting their prime and having six years to really think thoroughly about what's going to happen, that's not insignificant at all. What do you think about that? I, I see what you mean. I know, yeah. I know it's bars. It's no, bars. No. I know. You're, you're right about players hitting their prime, though. Uh, I hadn't thought about that because, you know, you, you take a look at other countries who are going to be, you know, like contenders for World Cups for the next decade. You know, Argentina is like an incredibly old squad. They have great players, but they have 
a much older squad than like most other countries. Italy as well. They're they're getting pretty up there as well. Um, you know, Germany is starting to transition over to a younger squad. Spain like really kicked it into gear this past year, uh, shifting to oh, a yeah. younger squad. And I mean, you know, you're, you're right. Like the U.S. probably has one of the best futures compared to most other teams. I think it rivals the sort of uh, future that France has because, you know, France has an incredible youth setup or at least like a ton of good young players. Like Mbappe's only 21. He's only 21. He's, I think he's yeah, in the yeah, top whatever. 10 for goal scorers <laughs> for France. He He's he's probably going to be the top goal scorer in French history. Uh, unless like, you know, he has a career ending injury. But, you know... He, it's it it's a younger squad and like uh you know England has a really young squad too but you're right the the US is going to be hitting their prime all of our players you know Pulisic McKenney uh you know Dest is going to be hitting his prime uh Reggie Cannon and they're all going to have even more European experience and who knows by then like one of them might have won the Champions League at that point too oh yeah so this year this year bro this year I mean there's so many opportunities for it uh or like you know, or they could win the the Europa League as well uh, because Club Bruges. We have a goalkeeper uh, who they're can... not going to win that. Let's be honest. They're True, but that. you know, it, it's a possibility. Uh, Wea in with a uh, Lille, right? He uh, yeah, yeah. he's playing in the Europa League, and Lille is having a good season. You know, it 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 could be possible. Uh, all of these sorts of things could be possible. Uh, but there is one other thing I wanted to mention as well. Because it's something that maybe might not matter as much for the next decade, but is going to matter, like I alluded to, for the next century at least, of Mm -hmm. U.S. soccer and international soccer. Because we've got to talk about MLS as a major sports league. Because it it just hit its 25th anniversary. And I think it's a huge part of something we need to address going forward. Especially building towards a World Cup. Because, you know, basketball and football in the U.S. are seen as the big paths forward for so many young men who are trying to pursue uh, careers in sports, right? And then soccer, I, I I don't want to say, like, primarily, but it has been more marketed for a longer time as a female sport for decades in the U.S., like, in high schools it, since the 1970s. In terms of playing, not necessarily right. watching, right? Yeah. Right, yeah, like, in terms of playing. It, it's, in the 1970s, it was, like, one one of the big sports that was marketed towards uh girls and women in high schools uh around like around the time when title IX was implemented and as a result like we can see that paying off now with the success of our women's national team yeah yeah, because you know they're they're doing incredibly well and you know a lot of it comes down to the talent and how well we have like you know how well regarded women's soccer is in the u.s and how it's considered like the gold standard of soccer around the world i'd say um but like it that culture is woven in to the success so i'd argue that if the us men's national team wants to be regular competitors like always in like you know quarterfinals semifinals finals winning the world cup if they want to be at that level all the time like uh countries like france brazil uh england and belgium if they want to be like that we've got to address sort of the culture and market mls even more I think I might have an answer to your hypothetical question. All right, all right, let's hear it. And, yeah, it's... Well, first of all, 
the 2026 World Cup is important for exactly that reason. Very the true. only reason why MLS exists right now in the current form is because of the 1994 World Cup, which was seven years before we were born. But it was incredibly important because in order to secure that World Cup, FIFA made the U.S. Soccer Federation promise to start an actual Division I legitimate soccer league in America. And that kind of kicked off like the modern day soccer popularity that we see today. And so 2026 is a second shot at that. It's, it's going to be like, you know, we talk about, you know, MLS 1.0, MLS 3.0. This is like the great reset for MLS. This is, this is their chance, a watershed moment, like you say, to bring in more players, to bring in more fans and sponsors and eyeballs. But that is guaranteed to fail if, like you say, they don't begin to market it differently. And I've been thinking a lot about college basketball recently because, you know, college basketball is starting. I love college basketball. It's probably in the top three of my favorite sports to watch aside from soccer. And what makes it so interesting to me is that for a lot of people, the reason why they like college basketball so much, they get to see some of the best up-and-coming players before they enter the NBA. And in my mind, that's exactly what soccer should be in America. Especially when we are exporting so many great American players and so many great South American players are coming over playing a little bit here when you see that with uh miggy with uh uh newcastle and before atlanta united coming over playing leaving and if we can market soccer in america as like these are where the next big things come from america the land of opportunity you come here Mm, you kill it in mls you go to you go to barcelona you kill it there that is in my opinion the key to reestablishing soccer or not reestablishing establishing in the first place yeah. soccer as an exciting sport to watch yeah i i totally agree we've we you know 2026 is going to be a big year <laughs> i am so excited for it to come here you know i i think it i think it could be uh i, I think it could be a really good opportunity to introduce it again and hopefully the 2026 world cup does just that let's yeah. talk about Chelsea Football Club. Yep, my favorite club, but my least favorite club to watch right now. Uh, so, uh, as some of you might have might know, if you've been watching the Premier League, uh, Chelsea have hit a bit of a brick wall lately. Uh, they've not been scoring. They haven't been winning. They have won one game out of their last seven. They just lost 3-1 to Manchester City. Uh I mean, the only victory I think we we've had in the past month is against West Ham, and I think I think that's no. about it. Yeah, uh, but like, it's it's becoming a bigger problem because at the beginning of this run, as a Chelsea fan, I was like, you know, it's fine. Uh, new signings, adapting, they're all starting to gel. But as it's gone on, I've gotten increasingly worried and increasingly suspicious about you know what is the big problem behind this, and. There's a lot of different things that I can think of and that I, I've seen tons of Chelsea fans on Twitter uh, talking about. But 
that's what we're going to discuss a little bit today. Uh, you know, how, what can Chelsea do to move forward? Because it's becoming a problem. So, uh, AJ, what, what, uh, I want to hear your opinion on this first. Yeah, so obviously I don't care about Chelsea. Well, yeah, I do care about Chelsea. Christian Pulisic's you know, there, you know. Yeah, we got one of my guys on there. But from an outsider's perspective, it's pretty funny that Chelsea is failing. But instead of laughing, I wanted to learn more about why it's not going so well. Because I remember, I remember back in 2015, 2016, when Chelsea were also terrible, you know, really wondering why that was. And, you know, we can base that off of just Mourinho being bad at that time and maybe still is but for me right now the reason why Chelsea is doing not so hot has to be a combination of new players chemistry issues and also Frank Lampard's tactics not really being as consistent as it needs to be given how little chemistry they have I, I went and I looked at their starting lineups for the last couple of games, and pretty much every single one of them was different. You contrast that with you know other teams; they play more, uh, more, more normal lineups. They have their they have their regulars. They might switch out a couple, but you know Chelsea's front three has consistently changed. Whether it's you know, uh, Timo Werner, uh, Ziyech, I think, came back. Uh, Hudson Adoy last week, Christian Pulisic, uh, uh, your main man, Olivier Giroud, coming in there for a couple of games. And it's all different. Sometimes they're different positions, sometimes they're, diff- they're different sides. Christian Pulisic and Timo Werner can't decide which side of the pitch they want to play. And with all of this differences in how Lampard lines up every single week on top of the fact that these guys have literally never played together before September that, that's just a recipe for disaster and you know I think Lampard yeah he has a 49% win rate right now which is not what you want to look for in a Chelsea manager and that's 49% I think uh, his entire time with Chelsea but still, I mean, that's it's obviously even worse uh, now this season, probably. And the question is, for me personally, as an outsider, is why should you trust Lampard if he keeps on doling out, you know, lineups and tactics and doing all these crazy things that just don't seem to be working to the strength of his actual team? And... I don't know. I don't really have an opinion on whether or not he should be he should be fired or not. But it does bring up a question: like, if you can't get the most out of this world class team, and let's face it, even as a West Ham fan, I gotta say it is a world class team. Then I don't know. What are you doing? What are you doing? And yeah. Yeah. that's my opinion. I want to hear. You're a Chelsea fan. Obviously, you're gonna have a stronger opinion. Than yeah, me, I mean, I, I yours. I definitely do have a stronger opinion because there's a lot of different issues that we can talk about with Chelsea. A lot of it comes down to consistency. You're right. Um, out of all of the players who have played, there has been only one player who has started every single game 
of the Premier League season, and it's N'Golo Kante. You know, I mean, the man has an engine. He never gets yeah. tired, it seems. Like, Workhorse, great yeah. guy. I, I mean, like, it's impossible not to not to like N'Golo Kante. You have to like oh, him. Oh, yeah. And, like, he he's a great CDM. He is incredible. On his day, I would say he is the best CDM in the world. But the problem is he's prone to making, to having, you know, some off periods as well. He's He can be incredible, but other times he can be a little shaky. And uh, I think that kind of showed a little bit against Manchester City this past weekend. He was doing pretty well, but he was consistently getting thwarted by Kevin De Bruyne. And uh, I, I can't remember who it was on the wing. It was uh, Bernardo Silva, I think, and Raheem Sterling. Uh, you know, he was struggling at points. And I think one thing that Lampard did that was really good is bringing on a second CDM. Because we've been playing this 4-3-3 for a while, right? And it's gone okay. But I think yeah. Conte plays way better as one of two seat holding midfielders. That's how he won the World Cup. You know, it was him and either Matuidi or Pogba as in the central midfield, in the holding midfield roles. And they did incredible. I I think it would be a good idea. I, I don't think Jorginho is the answer. He... I mean, he used to be a great penalty merchant, but he's missed <laughs> he's missed more than he has scored this season. Uh and I think he's missed five and scored three, if I if I remember correctly. But, you know, he, he's missed a lot. Uh and he's very slow with his passing, and that's not what Chelsea need right now. They they need it, especially with their forwards. You know, Pulisic and Werner and Ziesch, they're all fast. You, you don't want someone who's passing side to side. You want someone who's going to play the lawn ball or who can run up a little bit. Conte provides that. I think Gilmore, Billy Gilmore, uh, the Scottish GOAT, you know, uh, he, he's incredible. Uh, and I think he should be paired with Conte. And uh, because, you know, it breaks up the play a little bit more. And, you know, they're both pretty fast and they can join in the play. While they might not be scoring, you know, the most goals, they have incredible ranges of passing and they are great at breaking up play. They're great at what they do. However, then you have to go up a little bit further because there's clearly something wrong with the front four, front five, depending on the system. Yeah, because, his name's Timo Werner. Yeah, I mean, Timo Werner is an obvious culprit. You know, he hasn't scored much at all. Yeah, uh, he's gone yeah. twelve games, twelve Premier League games without a goal. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, it, last time yeah. he scored. You know, last time he scored. We were wondering whether or not Joe Biden or Donald Trump won the election. True. That's how that, that's how bad his last two months have been. That that's true. It's it's been a long time since he scored a goal, and you know he's shown he's shown that he can do good things. He's gotten a couple yeah, of assists. Yeah. He's gotten a couple in there, but he hasn't really hit the electric points that he's hit in the boon, that he hit in the Bundesliga last year. Uh, but I think. Another issue, and this is going to be controversial, especially with Chelsea fans, because I'm going to put a little bit on Mason Mount, but it's not really his fault at the same time. Because Mason Mount, he's a great player. I think he's one of the brightest stars going forward, along with, uh, you know, your man Declan Rice from West Ham uh, in the England national team. I think they're going to be great, and they're, they're going to be part of a big future for their national team. But at the same time... Lampard plays him 
almost all the time. Like, there's jokes on Chelsea Twitter all the time that, you know, he's secretly Lampard's son and that's why he plays so much, you know. that That's that's a, that's a kind of a joke that I've seen floating around, but it, it there there's a point to that. Like, he, he plays a lot. He Last season, he played the most minutes out of every other player. And he, he can be a great creative midfielder. He saved us at the West Brom game from being completely embarrassed and dropping points against West, uh, West Brom and helped us come back in a 3-3 draw. But right. he's also tired. He's 20. He has energy, but it's not unlimited. And it's it just doesn't make a lot of sense to always start him, especially when you spend $85 million on Kai Havertz and he's just sitting on the bench. Uh, mm-hmm. And in the Manchester City game, you know, when he came on, he created like our one chance and convert and convert and uh, Callum Hudson Odoi converted it. So he, I think we we need to, you know, we need to give Mount a rest a little bit. You know, Lampard, I don't think you're going to be listening to this, Frank. But you know, if by any chance you do, rest Mason Mount just a little bit, give him <laughs> a nice day off, uh, and let Kai Havertz show some of his creativity. Because that is one really big thing that I think needs to shine through. Because, you know, they they might they may be professional athletes, but they still get tired. So yeah. I I think that's uh, that is one big thing that needs to be addressed. It it, do, it does bring up a question. Do you think you 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 fix you fix your defensive midfielder situation? You fix your your front four situation. Does that actually fix the team as a whole? Do you think? that's enough to turn around the team i'm gonna say no not completely it's going yeah 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 it's it's going to help right the ship you know Mm -hmm. but it's going to take a little bit more like you said there's a lot of issues with you know chemistry because the lack is of chemistry is so apparent and i think there's a lot of things that you could try to to go with it one thing that I've thought about, which might not be the most practical thing, uh, especially given what I just said about Conte playing best with two <laughs> holding midfielders, but it might be interesting to try out for a game a four-one-three-two system, which sounds weird, but you know, keep the keep the back four the same. Uh, I mean, hopefully Reese James gets better soon, but yeah, you know, hopefully. it would be it would be Chilwell, Thiago Silva, Kurt Zuma and either Azpilicueta or Reese James. And then you have Conte in the holding midfield role, and then you have either Havertz or Mount in a 10, uh, and then, you know, Ziyech on the right, and Pulisic on the left. And then Werner plays so much better, like, as we saw with Leipzig, when he's paired with another, like, tall center forward. And we have arguably the best tall center forward in the world in Olivier Giroud. Like, arguably. He he's incredible at like distri- arguably yeah at, at distributing the ball <laughs> like winning headers winning aerial mm-hmm. duels and distributing it off. He I think they would play really well if given the chance to play off of each other in a front two because all all we've seen so far is Werner on the left and Giroud playing up front centrally, and yeah. while that's good, I think it would be really interesting to see if Timo Werner like really thrives in that environment. But yeah, I in addition to like just like formation stuff i i think like lampard's tactics we he he needs to he needs to he needs to do less adrian heath stuff 
and you know be be more bold with the substitutions because right he holds out a lot with substitutions and doesn't make a lot of them or at least not this season he hasn't made many of them until like the 75th 80th minute at which point like they're not really impacting the game it, it's been really poor tactically from lampard i don't think he should be sacked though uh even though okay. i know like you know the chelsea board you know notorious for for sacking managers like you know if if they have high expectations i was honestly surprised when he didn't get sacked even though he only because he only got fourth last season you know that sorry got sacked after winning the europa league and placing third and you know i mean he also lost the dressing room but at the same time like you know chelsea they're not patient uh so i i hope they'll give him some patience because you know they splashed 220 million this transfer window oh yeah, yeah and you know a lot of them only out of all of the signings only one of them has played in the premier league before and he's been playing amazingly like ben chilwell arguably the best player of chelsea's season so far uh and i mean you know you've got to get you've got to get the other guys on that same train i i i hope it gets fixed soon enough so i can actually stand to watch them play again yeah because uh how many times did i tell you i turned off the match halfway through uh i think i think the past against arsenal i told you i turned it off and against man city yeah i i turned i turned it off and then rewatched it later because I was hopeful for something to happen, but nothing did. So, yeah, I mean, it. I, I just want to be able to watch them again and enjoy it, <laughs> which would be great. It would be great, yeah. Honestly, maybe it's because I'm an outsider and I'm, I'm not feeling the same horrible pain as you are, but I'm a lot more hopeful that it's, it's going to be righted, if not by itself. I think so much of it is just the consistency, the chemistry. No other team really sees the same amount of turnover as Chelsea did. And turnover as in, like, new players coming in. You, you practically bought a new starting 11 this this year. I, 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 think, I think you'd also agree. A lot of it is just patience with these players, given the circumstances. Uh, patience with how Lampard's going to eventually utilize the players. I mean, I mean that's all you can hope for. I don't I don't think or do you think the answer is to buy more players? No. I don't think the I I I've seen all this talk about like, you know, Chelsea really need to buy more players and I do not see that at all as being the answer because, you know, like they've already uh they've already bought like a, uh, you know, a ton of players and they they've been playing well. They haven't been playing terribly, but, uh, you know, uh, that's all that it would be so naive and so Chelsea for them to immediately buy more players. Right. I mean, I'm fine if it's like, you know, players that we're going to either, you know, put in our youth academy or loan out for half of a season. But, but I think the focus, this transfer window, I hope at least is on getting out some of these players to reduce our astronomically high wage bill because we have so many people who just aren't even playing anymore that desperately need to transfer out so yeah so no Declan Rice to Chelsea I I don't think so especially with West Ham playing well I I think you'll get to keep him I think you'll get him well that's that's good to hear 
All right, so why don't we move on to the predictions? We have a, a Manchester derby happening in the other side of the bracket, EFL Cup, Man United versus Man City. Yeah. What do you think about this? Will this will be interesting because their most recent match ended in a 0-0 draw, and neither coach from the post-game inter- interview was happy with that at all. And they both felt they deserved a lot more. And, you know, it's it's going to be interesting because Manchester United, probably one of the most informed sides in yep. England right now. Uh, and Manchester City are just starting to find their form. Uh, you know, they, they did really well against Chelsea. They beat Newcastle uh, the other day. You know, they're, they're, they're starting to get back up there after a pretty slow start to the season. Uh, this This one is going to be incredibly interesting to watch and out of the two cup games this is probably the one i'd prioritize watching but i think yeah ooh, it's it's gonna be tough but it really depends like ole ole gunner solskjaer he's he's crumbled in quite a few semifinals. Uh, he's made it to three mm-hmm. has made it to zero finals from those three semifinals. i am going to go for a man city win i think I, I think it's going to be a quite quite a close game. I'm going to go for a 2-1 City win. Okay, interesting. I see things kind of the same way. Manchester United, uh, what are they, second, something second, like that? Yeah. Man City, hitting their form, are hit by COVID. True. That is a very, very important thing to take note of. Zach Steffen probably is going to be in goal. He was shaky against Chelsea. And I think, I think with the likes of Rashford and Fernandez, I mean, who knows how these coaches will line up? They might not take it seriously, but like, imagine playing against Fernandez and Rashford as a second-string goalkeeper. I mean, that is tough. This is going to be probably his biggest game if he does end up playing. Not to mention, you have the other players who are out. Uh. But the thing that really shakes up for me, because if it was just City having COVID, I'd say United's going to win this easily. But Pep Guardiola has repeatedly treated this competition well. What, what They've won like the what? The past three? I, I think it's know. the past three at this point, yeah. And it, first of all, that's insane, because literally who cares? It's the EFL Cup. But the fact that he does at least kind of put in an effort with his large squad proves that City might put in a good effort. That's why I'm going to go 1-1 draw. Manchester United on penalties. Ooh, okay. I mean, they do have the greatest pen merchant, in in air quotes, you know, uh, in the league. Manchester United, but yeah, yeah of course. I could I could see it happening. Yeah, uh, I mean, next we're going to move on over to the Bundesliga for a second for mm-hmm. a bit of an interesting clash because both of these teams, neither of them are at the very top, but they're looking to secure their places in the top four. Uh, and it's Dortmund versus or uh, Borussia Dortmund versus Re- uh, Rosenballensport. Leipzig. I almost. Dang, you said the full name, bro. Yeah, I, I almost name. said I almost said the wrong one. Uh, oh yeah, but, you're gonna get in trouble for that. Yeah, I almost I, I almost had a lawsuit by by uh, the sports drink company uh, unnamed. 
uh, right there. But it's going to be an interesting match. Uh, what are you thinking for this one? I'm personally thinking a lot of things. Uh, namely, that Leipzig is playing well. You know, Nagelsmann's got them, got them playing uh, good soccer out there. I've caught some of their games. Every time I'm impressed, every time I'm impressed by Tyler Adams, the GOAT. They've been playing well. Dortmund, on the other hand, have had their ups and downs for sure. They got blown out by uh, uh, Stuttgart just a couple weeks ago. Uh, they fired Lucien Favre. Is that how you pronounce it? Favre? I think so. And even though they have had some positive results lately, including this weekend, it is going to be a tough, tough slog back to where they were last season and the seasons previously but for me anything could happen you know and this is Dortmund is at home they have Erling Holland back which is a huge get he didn't really do much last game got a yellow card sure but he still is for my money one of the best strikers in the entire world right now and to automatically discount Dortmund because they are without a true head coach because they are in bad form, would be kind of doing a disservice to them. So I'm going to go with Dortmund getting a seemingly upset win, 2-1 over Leipzig. Nice. I, I had very similar thoughts about this. Uh, Dortmund's form, terrible. Uh, and Leipzig have been incredible. Uh, you know, like they've had some incredible wins. They always produce a lot of goals. I thought they would be struggling yeah. this season after Timo Werner left, but apparently he was just no way, he was just putting up a show, perhaps uh, up there. But um, you know, uh, Dortmund, like you said, it's you can't discount them because they've been playing well under their caretaker coach. Uh, I think Dortmund are kind of hitting their stride at the right moment, and Leipzig, you know, they they they've been. A little bit more conservative on the goals recently you know they haven't been scoring as many as they used to where like you know four nil and like you know eight nil wins were actually pretty common for them uh last season in the bundesliga and i think i i think you're right erling holland is going to be a difference maker i he think will. he needed a game to warm up maybe uh you know he's we all know he's a robot he needed a he needed a game to dust off the rusty parts you know and, uh, you know, I, I, I think Dortmund will come out on top with, I'm going to say a 3-2 win. I think three it's going two. to produce a lot of goals. Okay, holes. okay. I, I think it will. All right. Well, let's go down south for a little bit. Let's let's go and join Milan and Juventus as they clash in the Serie A January 6th. Let me just get this out of the way. Milan's going to win. It's it's a lot tougher to really justify Juventus winning this match as you would previously because Serie A is so wide open right now that anything could happen. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's it's going to be really tough because, you know, Milan are the top of the league right now, and they're really doing quite well. Um, I, 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 I have to get this out of the way as well. I love Serie A. It's it be, beyond, like, in Europe... After the Premier League, it is my favorite league beyond that. Uh, and I I really enjoy it. 
and this is going to be an incredible game to watch. Uh, and, I mean, Juventus, like you said, haven't been playing their best games. Uh, they've been they've been playing okay, but they've been drawing a lot more than they've been winning recently. Yeah. And I think Milan are actually going to be in a little bit of a tougher place because they are missing one of their starters from suspension, uh, Sandro Tonali, their whole, one of their holding midfielders. And while they have a good okay. squad, like they are missing a very decent player. Uh, they still won without him uh, uh, against um, Benevento, but Benevento, our newly promoted side, been playing well, but not as well as they could be. And for that reason, I'm actually going to say that this ends as a 2-2 draw. 2-2 I, draw. I think it's going to I think it's going to end as a draw, you know, because you have a battle of two of like the best forwards in Serie A. You have Zlatan Ibrahimovic versus Cristiano Ronaldo. And I think that they'll both contribute a goal in that. And I think it'll I think it'll be interesting, but I think that it'll be a draw because Juventus are hitting their form. They're they're doing quite well. And Milan, you know, they are a solid team, but I think they are not yeah. unbeatable. And I think Juventus can expose some of their weaknesses. 2-0 to Milan. 2-0. Zlatan does wow. Zlatan things. True. You, you never know. Zlatan could ha- pull off an absolute masterclass. And he will. All right. Well, let's go over to Spain for a second. Why don't we? Uh, why don't you kick us off with your takes on Bilbao versus Atleti Madrid. Yeah, so this is going to be really interesting because I don't think many people at the beginning of this season expected Atletico to be in the place they're in right now. They're currently top of the league, and, you know, they're leading Real Madrid with two games in hand by two points, uh, which is incredible, even though they lost to them. Uh, Atletico Madrid are just doing incredible. But athletic club, athletic club, isn't necessarily terrible either. They've had a mixed bag of results, but you know they they've they've produced some shockers in, in their in their season so far. And I wouldn't necessarily count them out of this match. That being said, mm-hmm. with Luis Suarez up top, uh, just absolutely crushing it. Uh, I think Atletico Madrid are probably going to win this. I'm going to say two to zero, because really? you know. Jan Oblak in goal is is going to be incredible as always, and I I, I think I think Luis Suarez is going to chip in a goal, and we'll, we'll say a Carrasco goal in there as well. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. all right. I'll have to put my hands up here and say that I don't know as much about Bilbao as I probably should, uh, or La Liga in general, but given their form, given their talents. I'm going to go with 1-0 to Madrid. I know that comes out of nowhere, out of my butt pretty much, but I got faith in it. I got faith in it. I I mean, a, a 1-0 win would be a very Diego Simeone-style oh, yeah. uh, win. So I, I, think, I think it's definitely a good call. All right. Well, before we close out this first episode of the final third, let's take a look at the FA Cup match, which is probably the, the, the biggest, most exciting FA Cup match. January definitely, 8th, definitely. Aston Villa versus Liverpool at 
Aston Villa's home ground. What do we think about this? Because, I mean, it's FA Cup. It's early rounds. What do you say? This is going to be a great game to watch because if you remember, uh, Aston Villa humiliated Liverpool at their home ground earlier this year, seven to two, and it was a it was a big it was a big talking point. And I think that this is going to be a really big game for Jurgen Klopp because you know. He, he seems like a very nice guy, but he also seems like the kind of guy that wants some vengeance against oh, Aston Villa. And, you know, uh, this is going to be an amazing game because you know that these teams, like, it's either going to be a situation where they both put out incredible sides or they both put out second-string sides. It's not going to be like an unmatched mm-hmm. thing. It And I think that Jurgen Klopp, just because, like, you know, I mean, I, I, I like economics. I like, I like game theory. So just thinking like that, I think Jurgen Klopp is going to be thinking for revenge. And he's right. going to put out a strong side, like relatively strong. And I think uh, Dean Smith is going to see that and do the same thing. So I think okay. this is going to produce an awesome game. Liverpool in the cup, I don't know what it is, but they always have just really high-scoring games. Last season against Arsenal, it was a 5-5 game. Uh, five-five draw. They, I, I think they had another five-five game recently, like in the EFL Cup, like this year. Uh, but like, I think that this will be one of those sorts of games, and I am going to say just because of Jurgen Klopp and he wants some revenge, I think it's going to be four to two with four Liverpool. Four to two. Ooh. Four to two. I think it's. I think it's going to be a firecracker of a game. Firecracker. Well. I'm going to have to hard disagree with you on that one. Just because it's it's early round FA Cup. FA Cup already teams, especially big teams like Liverpool, are willing to throw it to the wayside in order to uh, promote uh, them winning in the Premier League. You know, it's, it's not going to be this... Obviously, they're going to throw out everything they have i do think that klopp is going to want to you know try to put on a show but i don't think i don't think he's going to put out a lot of first teamers i'm looking at a a zero zero draw uh liverpool's take with penalties dang okay yeah that's that's a big disagreement right there yeah um i don't know i think it's going to be interesting i might be just uh, eluded by the magic of the FA Cup that no longer really exists, but you know, I, I don't know. I I just feel like it it has all of the the ingredients of a really good game, and I really hope, you know, all it really takes, like if Aston Villa put out a mediocre side, like or their second string side, all it really takes is Liverpool to put on either Sadio Mane. Mo Salah or or Bobby Firmino, and it could be a firecracker. And you know, all it takes for Villa then is put on Ollie Watkins or Jack Grealish. That was the first episode of the final third. Uh, Jack, do you have anything to promote? Do you have anything to say? Uh, we're happy to start off on this project, and really excited to. Uh, start doing this uh, more regularly. It's been something we've talked about for a while, so 
we're excited to see how people react to it yeah uh likewise really happy to start on this journey uh starting out our new year's resolution with a bang to get this podcast out uh yeah if if this episode does end up airing on all the place we want it to air uh give it a review give it a follow tell your friends tell your dad even uh and with that we'll see you guys next week 